Well, good morning, Plum Creek. I'm really glad you decided to join us today, and I hope you've had a good week. Um, I know that every week we all have lots of things to be thankful for, and I don't know what's on your list right now. Uh, maybe you've been thankful that we've had some snow and some winter weather, or maybe you're on the other side, and you're thankful that over the next few days we're supposed to thaw out a little bit. Uh, for myself, one of the things I was thankful for this week is something that happened on Tuesday. On Tuesday, I sent out an email to all the members of Plum Creek, and I asked a question. I said, looking back on the time when you first made a decision to follow Jesus, could you tell me one person who was a major influence in helping you make that decision? I wasn't necessarily looking for a name, just the role that person played in your life a friend or a parent or a minister, whoever. And I said, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing your answer or maybe some of your story, I'd really appreciate hearing that. And right after I sent that email, the responses started to come in. And for the next few hours, I got to read about specific individuals who influenced your lives in a powerful way. I read stories about people who pointed you to Jesus sometimes through their words, but mostly through their actions and their love. And honestly, I was not prepared for how much I would be encouraged by reading your responses to my question. Uh, that was easily the highlight of my day. So thank you for that. And this morning, I want to share some of what you sent to me, uh, because this goes right along with our topic for today. We're in a series called Count Me In. And each week during the series, we're looking at different statements that relate to our identity and our purpose. In week one, the statement was, I'm invited. So despite your past, despite your mistakes, your failures, God has invited you to be a part of his family and have a relationship with him through Jesus. Last week, we looked at the statement, I'm intentional. And that was all about living a life of purpose, doing the good things that God has created you to do. And now today, our phrase is, I'm influential. God wants to use each one of us to be a positive influence to people around us. More specifically, God wants to use us, partner with us, to lead others to Jesus. Now, some of you might think of yourself as an influential person, as an influencer, but a lot of us don't really see ourselves that way. And I thought it would be helpful to define what we're talking about here. So I jumped onto Google and I did a quick search. I typed in, what is an influencer? Uh, but uh, it was interesting what came up. Uh, the first definition I came across said this, an influencer is someone who has the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with his or her audience. Now, I wasn't surprised to see that definition because um, this is a big thing right now. Uh, you might have heard about Instagram influencers or, or people on social media that are just promoting products it's personality-based marketing. But as I scrolled through those results on Google, I noticed a theme. Here's another definition that I found. 
An influencer is an individual or group with personal authority, posture, expertise, or relationships that impact the buying decisions of others. So again, it's about getting other people to buy stuff. And that theme continued all the way down the page. Every result said the same thing. And listen, I I realize that buying and selling is a part of life. It's natural that when you're in business, you want to influence others to purchase what you're selling. I don't have a problem with that. But here's what I see as unhealthy. In our culture right now, the word influencer has been reduced to consumerism. According to much of the world, that's what this word is all about. It's about product promotion. But the truth is, from God's perspective, being an influencer is about so much more than marketing. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. I want to read this for you. In this chapter, Jesus is preaching his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts talking about what it means to be his disciple. So now, if you're a follower of Jesus, pay attention to this. Because right here, Jesus is telling you what you are, who you are. In Matthew five thirteen, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown, down, thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we have two metaphors here, right? First, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to be salty. You are the salt of the earth. And what does that mean? Well, what does salt do? It improves the flavor of your food. Salt also purifies. It preserves. In other words, salt is an influencer. The other metaphor is light. In a dark world, Jesus expects his disciples to shine like stars in the night sky. And when this world is covered in darkness and brokenness, followers of Jesus go out and bring hope and joy and light. So that's the plan. And when the church functions as both salt and light, what's the result? Well, we see that here in verse 16. When our lives are full of the love of Christ, we show the world something that they're missing And that's when God will use us as influencers. Others will see our love and our good deeds. And then they'll be drawn to Jesus. They'll be drawn to begin a relationship with Christ. And then they'll go on to glorify our Father in heaven. It's exciting to think about God using us in this way. But back to what I said earlier. A lot of us really don't think of ourselves as influencers. You might say, well, sure, some people are gifted in that way, but not me. Maybe you would point to somebody like Billy Graham. I mean, this guy filled up huge stadiums, and he preached these sermons that influenced thousands of people to follow Jesus. And you might say, yeah, that is not me, and it never will be. But I'm here to tell you this morning, 
no matter who you are, no matter what your personality may be, if your life has been changed by Jesus, God can use you to point others to Jesus. This is one of the things I noticed in your responses to my email when you told me about the major influences in your life. Not even one of you pointed to a Billy Graham type of person. Instead, you told me about people who lived quiet lives of simple faithfulness. I'll give you one example. This person says, My grandmother played a large part in me getting to know Christ. Although we were raised right next door to church, my parents never attended, but my grandmother did and took me as often as she could. She also played a part in their summer vacation Bible school as the cookie and punch lady, and she brought refreshments for the kids each day, and she always made sure I was able to attend each summer. Finally, at the age of 12, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and she was right there with me. And then this person says, Wow, thinking back about how she influenced me has brought tears to my eyes and really makes me miss her. See what I mean? This grandmother didn't do anything super dramatic. Uh, She just influenced her granddaughter in very simple ways, taking her to church, helping with vacation Bible school, bringing punch and cookies. And now this grandmother looks back on that, this granddaughter looks back on that influence, and she's moved by that. And honestly, I'm, I'm moved by that too. So this message today is one of encouragement. We're going to see that when we allow God to work, every one of us can be influential. One of the best examples of this truth is in the Bible, in John chapter 4. It's the story when Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And if you've been around Plum Creek or really any church for more than a year or two, you've probably heard multiple sermons on this passage. And that's understandable because this story is so rich. We learn so much from John chapter 4. And, and, you know... I could go through a series of messages just on this one chapter. Uh, One of the things we learn is how God relates to people who are sinful and broken. He he reaches out to all of us with love. He offers us acceptance. Another thing that we find in John 4 is a great definition of true worship. Uh, We could spend all our time today just on that definition. But uh, Right now, I want to focus on what happens at the end of this story. By the end of this encounter with Jesus, the Samaritan woman becomes an influencer. And it's an amazing thing. It's, somebody, it's something that nobody would have expected. I want to skip to the end of this passage and read just one verse, John four thirty nine. That verse says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And like I said, this this was extremely unlikely. You wouldn't have expected this woman to be an influence. So how did that happen? Well, to answer that question, we need to back up a little bit. And I'll give you a summary of this story. At the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus is on a trip. He's traveling on a route through the region of Samaria. And that's actually an unusual choice. The disciples would not have expected Jesus to take that route. 
because Jews and Samaritans did not like each other at all. Samaritans were sort of half Jewish and half Gentile. And because of that, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds or dogs. They considered them less than human. But of course, Jesus is not going to play that game. So he walks into town, into this Samaritan village. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. He's tired. He's thirsty. And he sits down beside a well. And right then, this woman walks up. She's got a big jar with her. She came to this well to draw water. And all of a sudden, Jesus does the unthinkable. He starts a conversation with this woman. Jesus says, excuse me, would you mind giving me a drink? And it's funny, in verse 9 here, we see that the woman is completely shocked. She, she just can't believe that this man is speaking to her. She's, she's beside herself. So the woman says, sir, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because this, this kind of thing just wasn't done. A Jewish man would never approach a Samaritan woman. But this is just Jesus doing what Jesus does. He speaks to this woman like she's a person, like she has value. He, he speaks to her like she deserves to be treated with dignity. And he does that out of a genuine concern and compassion for her. We see that in his answer to her question. When, when she asks, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus responds and he says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, if, if you only knew who is speaking to you right now, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, the woman is confused by that statement. And I don't blame her. She pauses for a second. She says, I don't know what you mean by this living water, but I do know that this well is deep. And I don't see that you have any bucket or rope to draw water with. So what is your plan here? Well, Jesus says, well, I'm talking about living water, which is not the kind of water that comes from this well. When I give you this water, you will never be thirsty again. And with that statement, Jesus is saying that uh, his living water is something that satisfies a person's soul in the same way that water can satisfy your body. And now this woman is intrigued. She's like, okay, now that sounds good. I want this water that, that, that will make me never thirsty again. So Jesus, in verse 16, he says, sure, go back and get your husband, and then we'll talk. And with that comment, things just got a little awkward. The woman responds, and she says, I have no husband. And right here is where Jesus just blows her away. Uh, he says, that's right. I know that you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and you're currently living with someone you're not married to. And let's make sure that we don't misunderstand this. Jesus is not coming to this woman with judgment. Jesus approaches her with love in his heart. He dignifies her. He honors her. All the time knowing that she is an outcast in her community. She's been divorced five times, and now she's shacking up. And even in our time, 
uh, people would talk behind this woman's back. And in that culture, she would have been shunned. But with Jesus, she doesn't feel like he's looking down on her. She just can't figure out how he knows what he knows. She's thinking, okay, this is no ordinary man. He must have some kind of special knowledge from God, some revelation. And then suddenly, she sees an opportunity here. Because she's had this question in her mind for a while now. She's, she's been thinking about this issue, this problem, and it's a question about worship. So she brings it to Jesus. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet, and our ancestors worshipped on this mountain here. But you Jews tell us that we must worship in Jerusalem. So what's up with that? And it may seem kind of strange to us. Why would she bring up this controversy about the proper place to worship God? And I don't know for sure, but I heard a a theory that makes sense to me. It could be that this woman was feeling unsure about whether or not God would accept her. So she really wanted to get this worship thing right. For a long time, she had heard about people arguing uh, about the right way to worship So she wanted some clarity. And right here, she's thinking, finally, here's a guy who can help me. Here's a guy who can answer my question. And she turns to Jesus. Where should I worship God? What would be acceptable to him? Now, she thought her question had two possible answers. Option A was Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And, of course, the Samaritans like that option because it's in their territory. It's local. It's convenient. Option B is Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where you would find the Jewish temple. But for Samaritans, that location is problematic because it's a longer journey, for one, and also you're traveling to a place where people hate you. But then Jesus, in his classic style, says, actually, there is an option C. In verse 23, Jesus says, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Right here, Jesus is making a big announcement. He says, starting now, everything is changing. And what's the big change? Well, it's Jesus himself. It's the coming of the Messiah. This Samaritan woman is living in the generation that would see the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross and then he rose from the dead, everything changed. Because on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He removed the barrier between us and God. So now in this era... We don't connect with God by going to some special temple or performing some special ritual or or going through a priest as a mediator. Jesus made it possible for us to connect with God directly in spirit and in truth. Now, did this woman understand all of that? Absolutely not. She's still confused. But she knows exactly who can help her sort this out. In verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. 
when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And this is a great moment. And this is when the woman's mouth drops open. The water jar falls to the ground. It's all coming together. It's an aha moment. She's like, I think this is him. I think he's the one. And then guess what she does next? She jumps right into the role of an influencer. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, this is great. This woman is leading people to Jesus. And we have to remember, at this point, nobody thought of this woman as an influencer. But here she is. She's doing it. And think about how unlikely this is. I'll give you three reasons why you would never expect this woman to be a major spiritual influence in her town. And first, this woman was no Bible scholar. She was not an expert in theology. In fact, right here, she's still not 100% sure that Jesus is the Messiah. But beyond her lack of knowledge, there's also the fact that she is a woman living in a patriarchal society. In first century Jewish culture, a woman's perspective was not valued highly. Uh, women were not even allowed to testify in a Jewish court of law. But that's not all. Beyond her lack of knowledge, beyond the fact that she's a woman, there's also the issue of her reputation. She has a long history of broken relationships, and people looked down on her. It's very likely that she was an outcast. So when you take all these things together, this woman is the last person you would expect to lead others to Jesus. But remember that verse I read earlier, John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. This woman shared her story, and then people went running to Jesus. Verse 40 says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And just like that, many lives were changed for all eternity. And let's make sure we notice it it wasn't the woman who changed their lives. It was Jesus himself. But the woman did play an important role, didn't she? God used her to point people Jesus. And he can do that with absolutely anyone. So in light of the topic we're looking at today, what, what would be a takeaway from this story? Well, here's the lesson. You don't need to have it all together to point people to Jesus. All you need is a genuine love for him and a genuine love for others. And that's exactly what I saw in your responses to my email this week. I want to share a couple of insights with you. Uh, When you told me who was a major influence in your life, I took those answers and I put them in different categories. Friend, minister, parent, and so forth. And then I put those categories into a pie chart. 
I'm sorry, I just like charts. But check this out. Out of all the answers I got, only 16% of you named a minister as your primary influence. So that means 84% of you mentioned someone who does not work for a church. And that is very interesting, isn't it? I believe it shows that God uses all kinds of people to be influencers. As a matter of fact, I want to share a couple of examples from your emails. Here's one. This person said, We had neighbors that frequently invited us to church, and we frequently turned them down. They would come and get our kids and take them to church events, never asking or accepting anything in return. And they finally wore us down, and we agreed to come to a friend day. Their patience and persistence won us over and changed our lives. Here's another story. This person talks about a significant friendship. She says, As an adult, I had completely lost any connection to church and rarely talked to God. That all changed when this friend came into my life. Our friendship started slow, and it probably took her over two years of inviting me to go to church before I finally said yes. I look back, and I realize God put her in my life for a reason, and I 100% believe he had this plan for our friendship all along. Last April, she baptized me at Plum Creek. She has really been exactly what I needed in my life and in my ability to reconnect with Jesus and follow him. So I love those two stories, but I could read many more. Uh, There were all kinds of influencers, Sunday school teachers, mentors, co-workers. Some of you mentioned your spouse as your biggest influence. But there was one category that showed up more than any other. It's the blue slice on the pie chart. Any idea what that one would be? Parents. That's right. And that's no surprise to me. God has appointed parents to be the primary disciplers of our children. And we can't make their choices for them, but parents do have a unique platform to lead our kids to Jesus. We can influence them every day by what we teach and also by our example. God has placed a high calling on parents, and sometimes we're inspired by that calling. You might feel encouraged and ready to step up to the challenge. At other times, though, this responsibility just feels heavy. It's overwhelming. Maybe you feel like you've dropped the ball in this area. Maybe you've made some bad decisions, and it feels like it's too late for you to be a positive influence. But if that's what you're feeling, remember the Samaritan woman. Uh, When it came to spiritual things, she didn't have a lot of head knowledge. And then she also had a past that was full of regrets. But what did we say? You don't need to have it all together to point people to Jesus. And from this point on, God can redeem your story. Yes, you you do need to give him control of your life, but make no mistake, God can redeem your story. So don't give up. I want to share one more email that I got this week. This one is from a young man around college age, and here's what he wrote. The person that influenced me the most in making my decision was my dad. 
I don't know if you remember when my family first started coming to church, but it was at the darkest part of my family's life. And when dad made the choice to give everything back to God, it was the turning point for our family as a whole. Of course, I made my choice a lot later, a long time after my dad did. But when I thought about giving my life to Jesus, I always thought about my dad. I thought about how dark the road that he was taking truly was and how much God can turn things around. I wanted to have that light in my life, and I wanted to be sure that I always had God in my life, like my dad does now. I can see how much it has changed him for the better. I think that's what a good Christian man looks like, and I want to follow in those footsteps. Now, I already knew some of this family's story. I was more familiar with the dad's side. I didn't know the son's side. But this is exactly what we're talking about, right? From this point on, God can redeem your story. He wants to use you as an influence. So be encouraged. Don't give up. And look for opportunities. Be aware of the people around you. Pray for them. Pray for yourself as well, that God would give you boldness. Pray that he would give you the right words at the right time. And most of all, pray that God will fill you with his love so that you can be salt and light to the people in your life. I want to leave you with a challenge. Uh, Going back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I want to look back at those statements, and this time, let's make them personal. First, let's read Matthew 5.13. But instead of the phrase, you are, we're going to say, I am. I am the salt of the earth. If you're a disciple of Jesus, can you say that with me? I am the salt of the earth. With God's help, I will improve the flavor of the culture around me. Second, Matthew 5.14, I am the light of the world. Again, let's say this together. I am the light of the world. I will shine light into the darkness. I won't be influenced by this world. I'll be the one doing the influencing. Now, does it feel strange to say that? Maybe so, but according to Jesus, if we're his disciples, this is who we are, and he will help us live this out. Okay, last one, Matthew five sixteen. Let's read this one all together. Ready? I will let my light shine before others, that they may see my good deeds and glorify my Father in heaven. Now, this can only happen through the power of God's Holy Spirit working in you and through you. But this can happen. So here's my challenge. Every day this week, Pray through these statements and then ask God to equip you to live as salt and light and then look for opportunities to live this out. This is the way to be influential. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the encouragement that you give us in your word. I thank you for the encouragement of this story where we can see how you used this woman to lead people to you. And I pray that as a church and as individuals, 
you'll use us in the same way. Lord, help us to show your love to a world in desperate need of you. Help us to be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen.